Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I was uh, telling Silas after the uh, choir this morning, I said again, I I thought a little bit about running around. And uh, boy, I tell you, I don't know. I don't don't really know what, um, what spiritual songs do in your heart. But boy, do I need spiritual songs. You know, I just, uh, as, the, as the, you know, it's interesting, um, Glenn, a week, or two, week ago, two weeks ago, you know, preached on Mephibosheth. Boy, what a wonderful truth that is, amen? To be invited by the king as a crippled, absolutely no value son of the enemy to be invited into the house to live forever, Amen? And I really appreciate the, 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 uh, the portion of, it, of that song where it says to say goodbye to Lodabar, never to return. Amen. There's a, there's a day coming, and I believe soon. Uh, and of course, when you're 53, I guess it's sooner than it was when you were 23. But I believe there's a day coming, I guess 54 actually, <laughs> I'm getting old enough and I can't remember how old I am, amen. Um, <clears throat> when there will be no sorrow, there will be uh, no pain, and praise God, there'll be no sin. No sin. We'll be in the presence of our Savior, and there will be no sin at all. As Jimmy was reading in Revelation 22, well, that's shouting ground, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? To be completely healed. And what's interesting is, again, as we get older, we become more and more aware of the physical need for help, if you will. We become aware. I was talking to someone the other day, an older person who's been going through a great deal physically, and they said, I remember when I was told that uh, uh, getting old was not for the faint. And uh, and they said, boy, I'm sure becoming aware of just uh, how much, this body fails us. But see, when you're young, when you're a teenager, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, you become very, very aware of how much your flesh fails you. Just how much your flesh is not your friend. Your flesh is not on your side. But God is on your side. God tells us that the, that the Spirit is willing When you're a new creature, praise God, you rejoice. You rejoice. The inward man rejoices in the word of God. The inward man rejoices in the law of God. The inward man rejoices in living the life that God would have us to live. And yet our flesh continues to not want that to be the case. It whines and fusses and it, and it, it lies and deceives and pretends that it's your friend and if you'll just do what I want today, everything will be wonderfully well. And that's not true. That is not true. You will never have, you know, there's a funny, it's a very 
common children's song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And you never outgrow that truth. Never, never, never outgrow that truth. Simply believe God at His word and do today what He would have you to do today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about conquering this or conquering that. You don't have to, again, you don't have to be Frank Sells today. You're not Frank Sells and you're not going to be Frank Sells today. All you have to do is be the person that God would give you the power to be today as you would walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, as we begin chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, it's, we have to read, it's interesting because we're really in 1 Peter chapter 3, the end of 1 Peter chapter 3 still. And yet in order to understand it, we have to recognize that 1 Peter chapter 3, the end of it, is a continuation of 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, starting in the, with the phrase, dearly beloved. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Just go there for just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11 says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims that you abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now this is what we're just talking about. Your flesh wars against your soul. That which God would have for you is not hindered by the world of the devil primarily in your life. What God would have for you is hindered by your flesh. And if you will deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow him. The world cannot overcome you, and Satan cannot overcome you. It is only when we volunteer to the world, it's only when our flesh volunteers to, de to the devil that we have the difficulties that come in our lives. Every man is drawn away and enticed, according to James, the book we studied before this, when he is drawn away and enticed by his what? Own lusts. This is something, I can be a bad influence on you, but I can't make you walk in sin. Do you understand? We can bring failure into the presence of one another, and God help us not to. But I can't ruin your life. No one can ruin your life but you. And Jesus came to set you free from you. That's what he's telling us. Now, what's interesting is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, if you read it and have any memory of the book at all, takes you back to 1 Peter chapter 1 at the very beginning. The idea of being strangers and pilgrims. Here we are, listen, here we are. We're talking about the reality of the promises of God at work in our lives. That's what we are in 1 Peter. That's the section of the Bible that you're in. You are in the reality epistles. We start with Hebrews, the book of James. Now, Everything that's important, please hear me, everything that's important about James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude is established for us in Hebrews. You have a great high priest who is able to make you the man or woman that he would have you to be. You don't have the power to do this on your, on your own, but you have. He's not only living in the presence of God on your behalf because you need him to plead for you. He pours out from God through the Holy Spirit, which is living in you, the power to live the life that he would have you to live. Now here, look, look, please look up here. 
America is full of Christians who are anemic, weak, because as John said in Sunday school, because they keep going to the bookstore, the Christian bookstore, and buying one more how-to book. They keep trying in their own strength to do that which you cannot do in your own strength. But the book of James and 1st and 2nd Peter and 1st and 2nd 3rd John and Jude are God saying to you, do you have this? Is this what your daily life is, right? Go back to 1st Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 8. We're waiting for the appearing, verse 7 tells us, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a new creature, there's nothing you want more than to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the Apostle Paul said to depart and be with Christ is what? Far better. Now, listen, Jesus can either take me or you individually or he can come and get us all. Amen? I'm okay with either one. Yes? Um, Ed Agner sent me a text yesterday. Uh, the results of his mother's testing have come back, and their cancer is throughout her entire body. And there's really nothing that they're going to be able to do, and she's not interested in a treatment because she said, I'm ready to depart and to be with Christ. Amen? And yet... The family still has to go through this time and the loss and the hurt associated with it. And when I wrote back to Ed, I said, Ed, I'm sorry that this is true, but I agree with your mom. And I mentioned this last night, and my mom said, my wife said, well, you wouldn't agree with her at your age, though. In other words, I agree with Ed's mom because she's old, right? And I said, no, I agree with Ed's mom now. Yeah? So does the Apostle Paul, to depart and be with Christ is what? Far better. We don't have to wish to die, though. Because we have something to do here now. This is what's being made clear to us. Now, we don't, we, I, really, I really would like to take the time, but I need you to just make a little mark in your Bible. You go back and look at it yourself. What I want you to notice, starting in chapter 2, verse 11, God is going to talk to us about living here as um, strangers and pilgrims, abstaining from fleshly lusts, and being mistreated because of that in four areas of our life. Starting in chapter 2, the first thing he deals with is the place or the society in which you live, right? See where it says, submit yourself unto, verse 13, submit yourself unto every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors. See, in other words, wherever you live, in the state of Virginia, in the city of Chesapeake, wherever you live, whatever civil place you live in, you can live there as God would have you to live. That's what he's saying. And it might be hard in some places to live for God in the society where you are living. That's possible, but you can. That's what he's telling us. Then he goes from that and he goes to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. So he says, let's go to work. Let's go to that place that's more difficult than just living in society. Let's go to where you have to go from 9 to 5 every day of the week except for on the weekends. Let's go there. And what he says is, there you can walk with God. At that place, you can walk with God. No matter what it's like, no matter how they treat you, you can walk with God and he will empower you to have the life, the joy unspeakable and full of glory that we see in chapter 1, verse 8. Then we go to chapter 3, and it begins with 
the household. It starts with the wives and then it goes to the husbands. And it's not talking about husbands and wives like Kathy and I, who have a hard enough time when we're both born again and we have children that are born again, living in our house and having our house be the way God would have it to be. He's talking to those wives who have unsaved husbands and husbands who have unsaved wives. And what he's saying is this can be true and is true for many and still Jesus is more than enough. And then the last thing he talks to us about starting in verse 8 of chapter 3 is church. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. He deals, so he deals with where you live, the, just the society that you live in, where you work, your household, and the church that you go to. And what he's saying is this. If, if you have that great high priest who's pouring out a whole new quality of, in, in, of life into your daily life, then you can do this. You can live a daily life of joy unspeakable and full of glory, not in your strength, but his strength. And by the way, that's why we are so blessed by Christian music. That is why it is so encouraging to us. It's why the word of God tells us to speak to yourselves in hymns and spiritual songs. It, God would have us to be continually encouraged from the word of God through the music that would fill our minds. Now you can fill your life with godly, godless worldly music. You can. It's plenty available to you. But it's not profitable. It's not helpful. What God would have you to have is the word of God dwelling in you Richly, the word of God dwelling in you richly that the Holy Spirit would have. It's the sword of the spirit. The word of God is his weapon in your life. Yes. Here's the thing. When you fill your life with worldliness, you rob the Holy Spirit of what he wants to use in your life to conquer wickedness. Again, not outside of you, inside of you. What the Holy Spirit wants to do to give you and I the victory that he would have is for the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How am I going to trust God in a passage I don't know? How am I going to be able to overcome this wicked thought or this wickedness or this difficult circumstance if I don't have the word of God dwelling in me richly? It's what the Holy Spirit wants to use. One of the things that I'm really coming to understand when I give counsel is this. The Holy Spirit can't use a passage you don't know. Do you understand? There are so many times the Holy Spirit would like to say to you this, whatever this is, right? He says, oh, I want to say to you Romans 8.28 right now. Unfortunately, you don't understand Romans 8.28. You don't understand it in the context. You might not even be able to quote it. You know what I'm saying? There are so many things that the Holy Spirit wants to be able to speak to your heart and mind with from the Word of God, but we must be in the Word of God that the Word of God can be in us. This is how God is at work in our lives. This is how the Spirit of God, it's not strange, mystical, weird, magical nonsense. It is God the Holy Spirit working with His power in your heart using His Word. That's how God works. And it's wonderful. Which is why when we hear about Mephibosheth leaving and going to live at David's house, we want to run around a little bit. Amen? Boy, I, I was telling Silas, well, I won't tell you what I was telling Silas. 
it does have to do with the fact that I'm so disappointed in Baptists. We can't enjoy ourselves in church. We just can't. We can't shout a little bit. We can't get excited. Everybody just sits quietly. Beautiful. Was the choir beautiful? Amen? Was it wonderful? Was the song wonderful? In my mind, half the time I was running around, the other time, half the time I was on my knees. Just rejoicing. Boy, I tell you, I hope that the, I hope for your, I mean, what I mean by this is I have an expectation for each of you that you will begin to enter into just how wonderful the Word of God is. And having the Word of God, you know, I was talking to uh, 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 Jacob, Jacob McKinney and I were talking about one of the things that comes up to mish for missionaries when they're going from church to church is their dress standards and their music standards. It's, it's kind of a common thing. And uh, he and I were talking about music. And I said, you know, as a rule, truly as a rule, the music that I listen to still almost all the time is either Bobby McKinney or the Victorious Valley Girls. That's what I find myself. And it's not a matter of dotting my I's and crossing my T's or having some kind of, I just truly love music that is a sermon in a song. I love to listen to music where the music is a passage song. It just blesses my heart so much. Truly blesses my heart. Because it causes my eye of faith to see how great my God is. To see from the very word of God how loving he is, how powerful he is, how able he is, and how much he wants to set me free over and over and over again. And I am so glad to have an advocate that is constantly before the throne, right? right, right. And then a voice behind me whispers, child, I'm here. You're not alone. Amen? Not alone. I'll never be alone. I'll never be alone. I'll never be by myself. You don't ever have to be alone. You don't ever have to stand before God the Father in His holiness by yourself as long as you have the Son. And whatever the enemy would say, whatever the attack would be, whether it be in your community, whether it be at your workplace, whether it be in your household, or whether it even be in your church family, Jesus is more than enough for these things. But the point that God is making in this passage isn't just that you don't have to feel bad. It's this. You can walk joyfully, lovingly, and triumphantly in the midst of that kind of difficulty. Because here's not what God is saying. Oh, poor you. They're treating you very poorly. You can go ahead and misbehave however you want to. That's not what the passages are saying. God is not going to come to your flesh and coddle your flesh and say, they sure are hard on you. That's not what he's going to do. What he's going to be able to do to you is say this. You can love them, you know. You can help them, you know. I love them, you know. That's what he says. I love them, you know. But Lord, they hurt me. I know. Can you imagine where they must be in their life that they would hurt you like that right now? Somebody needs to help them. And the Holy Spirit can help them. That's the passage. Now, with that in mind, let's read, starting in chapter 4. Now, what's happened in chapter 3? At the end of chapter 3, Jesus preached. Well, while Noah was building an ark, Jesus is preaching the gospel. Don't perish. Get in the ark. I love you. Wickedness cannot continue in the world, but I've made a place of escape. Get in the ark. Don't die in the rain. Amen? And it says he preached to those that are, to the souls that are in prison. Which means this, they weren't in prison when he preached to them. They were on the earth and they could have been rescued from the wrath of God, but they chose to reject the mercy and the goodness of God and they died in their sins. And now they're in prison. And by the way, prison is a temporary place. Unfortunately for them, they're going from that prison, from hell, into the lake of fire. That's what's going to happen. So that's the end. That's the context at the end of chapter 3. Now, 
for as much. Now, now what he's doing is he's dealing with the time that they were living in right now. Those that were believers on the earth now, he's comparing what it was like for Noah and, and, and his family when they were living righteous lives while Jesus was preaching the gospel and Noah was building an ark and the world around them was not hearing the gospel and was treating them poorly. He's saying you're going to live in the same kind of thing right now. If you want to see this, go to, turn with me, hold your Bible and go over to Luke chapter 17 for just a moment before we get to uh, chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Luke chapter 17. I'm just going to read a passage. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want you to see it. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 26. The Lord Jesus is speaking. Notice what he says. Talking about the day of the Son of Man coming, when God comes back. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given to marriage until the day that Noe entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. That's what we're living in right now. Do you understand? We are living in the modern day version of that. There will be weddings. There will be events. There will be going out to dinner. There will be family gatherings. There will be all of these things. In other words, the sun will come up, the sun will go down. The events of the day, we will put things on our calendar. We will plan them. Those days will come. We will exercise those plans. We will live just as if nothing's going to happen. And then suddenly, it's going to be over. That's what he's talking about. Now, now with that in mind, let's go back and look at this. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. If you're going to stop walking in the sin you used to live in, the people around you are going to have a problem with it. The people who want to walk in their own wickedness, it's remarkable. It's truly remarkable. I, when I was a baby Christian, I was surprised by my friends being, what's the word? It's not, it's not angry. It was more disgusted, I think. More disgusted. Why do you live like that? Why are you doing this? And here's the thing. You can't do it around us. You can't stop drinking, you can't stop fighting, you can't stop swearing, you can't stop all these things, you can't stop all these things and live around us as if it's normal. You want to know why? Because men love darkness rather than light. Now, and here's the thing, I, I can be honest with you, I was not looking down at them, I did not feel better than them, I was just so glad to be free. I was so glad to be set free from the things that were true about me that Jesus not only forgave me, but was overcoming those things in my life, it was wonderful. I was not better than them. I knew I was not better than them, but they did not want that around them. And here's what we find. If they have to, they'll put out the light, right? If they can just get you to move on, Chuck, just move on, which is what happened. My extended family, you know, I was really close with my cousins, really, really close. And I was like the cool cousin, you know what I'm saying? And then suddenly when I got saved and didn't want to go here and there and do this and do that anymore, they didn't want to see me anymore. When I would come and visit New England, I'm from New England, when I would come up and spend time with my extended family, instead of everybody coming over to see me, nobody wanted to be around me anymore. So listen, this is what I'm saying to you. If you're a new creature, praise God you're a new creature. You're not better than other people. 
You don't have to pretend to be better than other people. You just walk with Jesus in joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. And maybe, maybe they'll get in the ark. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll be angry with you for even building one in their presence. Do you understand? Let's continue to read. He that is, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banqueting, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you not run with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but might live according to God in the spirit. This is such a wonderful truth. What he's saying is this, look, many of your brethren have already died for their testimony. But look, this is why he preached to them. They would be judged by the flesh around them. And they might have to suffer and die because of their testimony, but they're alive in the Spirit. Because they are born again. They are new creatures. They are washed in the blood. And so, listen, you and I live a life. Listen, hear me. Going through this difficulty, and then this difficulty, and then this difficulty, and then this difficulty. And we do not have to be angry. We do not have to have our feelings hurt. We do not have to be frustrated. We do not have to wonder what's going on. We can love them while they hate us because who knows, but they might get rescued just like we got rescued. Yes? And if we die, that's fine. That's fine. Why? Because I'm alive in the Spirit. Because I am forgiven. I am a new creature. This is what Jesus wants us to understand. And, and listen, it matters so much that you understand chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4. Actually, all of chapter 4. And I'm hoping to just read all of chapter 4. It matters so much that you understand all of chapter 4 in light of what's happened in chapter 1, 2, and 3 already. Listen, you are strangers and you are scattered. You understand? We are strangers and we are scattered. And it doesn't matter where the society we're living in. It doesn't matter where we work. It doesn't matter what our house is like. It doesn't even matter what our church is like. Jesus is more than enough for us. Amen. Now, praise God, we happen to have here at Tidewater a pretty good little church family. We happen to be able to go through hard things together. Praise God. There's not a great deal of selfishness. I'd like to say there was no selfishness. I remember I, just going back, making me smile, just looking at Silas. Years ago, I was standing up here and saying, I thank God that we have a church that has no little clicks in it at all where everybody just gets along with everybody wonderfully well. And I said that honestly, with a full heart. And I, we were, after the service, we were talking, he said, you might not want to go quite that far with it. And I said, our church has no little clicks in it, Silas. And he said, that you know of. I said, well, wouldn't I know if we had them? And he said, no, obviously not. <laughs> if you're visiting, honestly, if you're visiting here today and there's any selfishness, that you come across today, that's the flesh. And that's not what Jesus wants. It's not what he wants for us, and it's not what he wants for you. You understand? And here's the good news. Listen to me. You can be set free. Even if the people around you aren't being set free, you can be set free. Because that's the power of God. That's the power of the cross. That's what God is doing in our lives. This is what he's telling them right here. 
He preached the gospel. Listen, in the days of Noah, he preached the gospel to those who were going to reject the gospel. And now they're in prison. And now in the days while he was suffering in his flesh, in the days in which we live now, he's still preaching the gospel. And some of them are receiving it and being saved. And they're being put to death for their very faith. And he says, that's okay. That's okay. Even if it goes that far. Let's keep reading. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And listen to this. And above all things. Right? Now the end of the commandment. It's on the wall behind us all. Yes? First. Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Why? Because that is the goal. Do you understand? The goal, listen, the goal of church is not walk right, talk right, act right, smell right, look right. That is not the goal, the end, the goal of the commandment, the whole purpose of the word of God, the whole purpose of assembling is charity, love. Out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Being set free to no longer be selfish anymore. That's the goal. That's what God wants to accomplish. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Listen to this. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Amen? You know, uh, Malcolm, Malcolm was praying earlier today. And he was praying for something that he, that he doesn't know the details to. He's just aware of a, of, 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 of part of it. And he said, Lord, if I understand correctly, my brother is being lied about. Lord, I pray that you'd set him free from these lies, from the penalty of these lies. He said, and Lord, if I'm not right, and he has done something wrong, then I love him anyway. And that's it. Right? Right? doesn't make sin okay. By the way, Romans chapter 6, beginning of Romans chapter 6, right? How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein, right? I do not live. This is what this passage is going to say. It's what the passage already said. I don't live the way I used to live. Praise God, I don't live the way I used to live. But I sure don't live perfectly, right? I'm telling you, there's coming a day. There's coming a day. Just want to keep singing that song. There's coming a day when no sorrow shall come, yeah? No more tears to fill the eye. You want to know why? There'll be no sin. No sin. Not your sin. My sin. You know, I said this the other day. Uh, I don't want to go into somebody, I think I'm trying to puff somebody up. I said, um, do you want to know so, why so-and-so doesn't have trouble with anybody else? Because if you can't get along with this person, there's something wrong with you. Right? And it's not me. Right? Do you understand? If God, if you don't get along with Jesus, you've got a problem. Do you understand? This is what God wants to, this is the kind of victory God Everybody that was angry with Jesus was angry with Jesus without a cause. Everyone that said something bad about Jesus had to lie to say it. And yet he didn't hate them for lying about him. He didn't hate them for being angry at him without a cause. Because he loved them. This is what God is saying. Above all things, have fervent, fervent charity. Listen, listen. That's love with zeal. That means this. That, um, fervent, fervent. If you think about fervent, um, the word fan, fan, as in a sports fan, is short for what? Anybody know? Fanatic, right? Right? What God is saying is this. Be a, be a fanatic about love. Right? Be a little weird about how much you care about other people. Love fervently. 
There should be a heat to our love, a zeal to our love, a strength to our love, a strongness to our love. Why? Because charity shall cover the multitude of sins. People should be, listen, hear me. People should be able to hurt you personally and nobody else even know about it. Because you have no interest in winning friends to get them on your team during this difficult time. Because you care more about the person that's hurting you than you do about yourself. Now, I don't know many people for whom that is true, but I know one for whom that really is true, and that's the Lord Jesus all the time. But I am seeing in many of your lives more and more victory when you are being hurt by someone, maliciously, intentionally hurt by someone, and Jesus is setting you free not to charge them with it. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Have people over to your house or go over to their house, or take them out to dinner, and don't feel like you did something great when you did it. Amen? That's what grudgingly means. All right, well, because I'm such a wonderful person, come on over. Right? Yeah, that's deep charity right there, right? By the way, 1 Corinthians addresses that, doesn't it? You can give all of your stuff and have not love, and what? It's of no value at all. Not to them and not to you. I'll tell you, honestly, you want to start, you want to start judging. You want, you want, if, if God, the Holy Spirit, every Sunday, let's say we took our good deeds of the week, right? And we started Sunday, I, this, we'd have a very low attendance, by the way, if we did what I'm getting ready to talk about. Every Sunday morning, the service started with you coming up, carrying your good deeds, real good deeds, not the ones you imagine you did, but the ones you actually did, your good deeds of the week, and then coming up here and setting them on the altar, and then Jesus takes the match of the motives. Why did you do the things that you did? He just lights that match and he drops it on your pile. How many of you think you're going to have a pile left when it's done? Most of you, if you're like me, are kind of worried there wasn't going to be a pile to bring up to begin with. Right? But once we get done judging the motives, man, that's a little tiny pile all of a sudden, isn't it? See, listen, this is what freedom really is. Freedom is not to be seen of men doing good things. Freedom is to be able to love one another. And you've got to be honest about this. I've got to be honest about this. This is the victory. This is why, this is why, whom having not seen, we love, right? Whom we have, even though we haven't been his presence, we rejoice in him with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because that's how he is. There's a reason why we sing, thou art worthy in Revelation chapter 5. Because he is worthy. And if there's any love in my life, if there's any love in your life, you know the Holy Spirit did it, not you. Because if you lived in Romans chapter 7 for just a few minutes, you know that the good that you would, you don't. And the evil that you wouldn't, you do. And so there's no reason for you and I to brag or for church, our church to brag. But we should love the people that come and see us. And we should not hurt each other. That's what he's saying. Is that what he's saying or not? Right? That's the context of what we're seeing in 1 Peter. Jesus has the power in your everyday life to give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. But only in the Lord Jesus. It's only one place to brag. It's only one place to boast. But because that's true, I can be deeply involved in what God is doing through my church family. I can. I can. Because I don't have to have the power to do it. I just have to let him have the power to do it in my life. But you still got to show up. Do you understand? You want to be a blessing to the people at the nursing home? You still got to go into the nursing home. You can't just think fond thoughts of the people in the nursing home. You still have to go. Right? With having a revival. You know, Brother Peters is here. Brother Chris will probably go with him. Kenny, if he feels well, will probably come back. And so they're going to go down. They're going to go down and minister in the brig. And they can think all the warm thoughts they want. But if they don't go down to the brig, they can't help the people in the brig. 
The same thing for the, for the sands tomorrow night, right? Who knows who's preaching at the sands tomorrow night? And the answer is that right now, we don't know who's preaching at the sands tomorrow night, right? The two men that normally preach at the sands, one of them is sick, and the other one is working tomorrow night. So if you're interested in preaching at the sands, uh, go tell Malcolm, amen, tomorrow night. But here, let me say this. Whether there's anybody to preach tomorrow night or not, people are still going to show up at the sands tomorrow night. And whatever they can do, they will do. Because that's how God works. The ministry is not fun, and it's not easy, and it does hurt. But if we're going to help people, we're going to have to say, this is what I need. This is what I need. Christ suffered for me, right? That's how the passage starts. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, Jesus came and became one of us and died for us. And listen, Jesus didn't begin suffering the day before he died on the cross. Jesus suffered constantly. I tell you, honestly, I think the hardest thing that Jesus went through was having to try to minister to his disciples, right? How many of you read when the disciples are talking and you think, man, you guys are idiots, right? And then you live just a little longer yourself and you say, oh, man, I'm an idiot too. Amen, right? And Jesus promises this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But we don't have to walk in the flesh. And we don't have to walk after the flesh. We have the Spirit of God. If, if you're a new creature, if you're not a new creature, you don't have any power. You have none. You have none. But you can be saved. You can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven, and Jesus will give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. But if you have the gift of the Holy Ghost, then guess what? You have everything you need to walk the way God would have you to walk. Because He has given you that power. Amen? And all you have to do is humble yourself and let Him work in your life what He wants to work in your life. That's what He's saying. All right, let's be finished. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift. Look up here. If you can minister, it's a gift. If you have the ability to minister, it's a gift. You have nothing to boast about. Nothing. Right? Let's look at what it says. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. So what does that mean? This is what it says. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what is he saying? Listen, look, here's the thing. God gifts you with an ability to be a help to other people. Now let me just take it this way. Let me use these things as the gifts, right? So God gifts you. I got a coaster, some Altoids, a card that's already been written on just once, and a bulletin, right? Whatever giftedness God has given you, just give it out. Just give it out. And here's the thing. What are you going to brag about? What, 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 do you ha- what have you to brag about? Nothing. Who gave all of the good things that you're able to be a help to other people? Who gave it all? Jesus did. Where does the power come from? Jesus. What did you do? Well, let, let me, let's take it this way. Let's go back to Jesus feeding the 5,000. When Jesus fed the 5,000 sitting on the hill, how many people did Jesus hand food to? How many? And the answer is, there is an answer. It's not zero. How many people did Jesus hand food to? And the answer is, his disciples. Right? Yes or no? Well, here's what happened. You're disciple number one. You can be Peter, right? Peter. Here's Peter with his basket. By the way, the basket is what? Empty. The basket is empty. Jesus has the fish and the loaves. What does he do for Peter? What does he do? He takes the fish and the loaves and he does what? He breaks it into Peter's basket. Yes? Yes or no? Yes? Just breaks it in the basket. Here's some bread. Here's some fish. Fills the basket up. Peter, go for a walk. What does Peter do? What does he do? 
Now, this is important. First of all, he doesn't take the basket and pick out of it what he doesn't like. Now, this is important because there are a lot of preachers picking out what they don't like out of the Word of God. Okay? He doesn't pick out of the basket what he doesn't like. And he doesn't pick up some, uh, some ferns on the way over and sprinkle them. I got a little bit of sprigs on mine. Mine's prettier than John. Poor John. He's not going to have any of this on his when they get there. Right? You don't got to sprinkle anything on the basket. And you don't got to take anything out of the basket. But what you do have to do is walk over, stand in front of somebody, and hold the basket. And then they take something out of the basket and they eat it and it's wonderful. Amen? And they say, Peter, thank you. And you say, I didn't do anything. I just carried the basket. Jesus put the food in the basket. And I got a feeling when I go back, there's going to be more. I don't know how there's going to be more, but there's going to be more. There's already more in my basket than there was when we started. Amen? That's the power of God. This is what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Listen, it is not up to us. It is not up to us to pick things out of the basket or to put things into the basket. It's ours to carry what Jesus gives us. That's what it says. According to the measure that he gives it to you, just walk and give it to other people. And then when somebody says, thank you, you can say, thank Jesus. Thank Jesus. But I'm telling you, listen, Jesus needs some people to carry some baskets. He does. He needs some people who are willing to carry the basket. I have a feeling that's where the crowns are going to come in. Amen? I think the crowns are going to come in because you and I were willing to carry the basket. And then when we get there, what are we going to do with the crowns? Just give them to him. Right? Because he works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's, keep, let's finish. We're almost done. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if any man speak... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. What? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are setting us free. Lord, I know you have completely set us free. But Lord, we do not enter into it as quickly as we should. We do not enter into it as completely as we should. And yet you continue to conform us to your image. You continue precept upon precept and line upon line to use your word and your own Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Lord, I pray today, right now, this morning, that many, many people who are here right now and those that are listening somewhere else, Lord, that they would just simply say, Lord Jesus, conquer sin and self in my life. Lord, use your word and your own Holy Spirit to accomplish in my life that which must be done for the good of those around me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that there's coming a time soon when you're going to come back and get us all and take us home. But right now, we're here to serve. Right now, we're here to love one another. Right now, we're here to help a world that needs to be rescued from its sin. Thank you, Father, for all of these things. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen.